All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So real quick, before we jump into our business meeting, we'll explain a little bit about what we're doing with that. Original Design is our next series. I want to give you a little bit of a background um, into that. So uh, I would have said for the last couple months, but it's honestly been for the last 18 years of doing ministry and being able to preach messages on Sunday morning. We always would have people throughout the course of the year say, hey, one of the things you should preach on is parenting, right? Or one of the things that you should preach on is marriage. And my response would always be the same. Not very good at either one of them, so I'm not really sure that preaching on it's the best idea, right? Like I'm trying to get it figured out, but I always got a ways to go when it comes to raising my children and loving my wife well. So it's always like, I don't really know. But what we did do, we did this a lot of years ago. I can't even remember what it was, but I said, what I will do is I will go back to a series that we did a long time ago called Original Design. So Original Design, a long time ago, we said, you know what, instead of like figuring out like marriage and, and parenting and relationships, let's go back to the way, design, the way that God designed men, the way that God designed women. And if we actually acted or uh, participated in the way that God designed us, we'd probably be good parents, right? If we acted in the way that God designed us, we'd probably have good marriages. If we acted in the way that God designed us, our relationships would be right. So why don't we just go back to how did God design a man and what was his role? How did God design a woman and what was her, what is her role? How do they work when they come together? Like how does that fit whenever they come together? And how do we then not only look at what he wants from a design standpoint, but know that you have an enemy that knows how he created you and wants to destroy you, right? So what are going to be your pitfalls? What are we going to be the things because you're designed this way that Satan's going to say, this is the way to take him down, all right? So how do we put all of those things together? So original design, we'll start that next week. It'll probably go seven, eight, nine weeks. Not really sure yet how far it's going to go, but trusting that, you know, God, once we understand those things that We'll have better marriages, we'll have better relationship with our kids, we'll have better relationship with people, and we'll be able to answer some of the questions that people have been asking when it comes to relationships, marriage, and parenting. Good? All right, so that starts next week. All right, business meeting. So our business meeting at Life Church. again, we're going to go through this, talk about what we're going to be doing, but a quick thing before I forget this. So one of the things we do at the end of every year is we put out an annual report. And so it used to be something that we would send you in the mail, but we made a decision this year. It's like pretty costly to send stuff in the mail. And we're not really sure if you are or aren't reading it, you know. And so we said, we'll, we'll do a little bit of both. Um, but the majority of people, this is the way we want you to be able to view um, the annual report that we put out, which is all the ministries, what they're doing, what's happening, uh, what the wins were, and what you can be praying for the next year. It has our budget in it from where did we end up financially and where are we hoping for in the future. So that's also in that. And stories about life change. So it's a great thing. You can find it on our app. So if you go to our app, you go to the resource tab. On the resource tab, you'll see annual report. You'll be able to go through and you'll be able to read, look at, or go through the annual report from there. If for some reason there's no possible way for you to see it electronically, see Jennifer. There's a few printed copies available that you could get a printed copy of that. But we want you to be able to do that. The other thing is, is that um, el our elders at the church, so if you've ever had any questions and you don't know who to ask and you didn't want to ask me about what's going on at Life Church or what hap what's happening, the elders will be in conference room B um, after or, uh, this service and you'll have an opportunity to sit down with them, ask them questions and talk about uh, the things that are going on here that maybe you couldn't get answers to from anybody else. And if they can't give you an answer, they'll point you to the person or they'll get the answer for you. Okay, so that's the first part of the things that are happening inside of the business meeting. Now, depending on what your church background is, when somebody says, hey, we're having a business meeting, it triggers certain things, right? So for some people, if you've been at a church where you have the business meeting where it's all about like, electing people and parading people across the stage and be like, this is who all the people are. You're like, it's a good Sunday to skip, right? Like it's the business meeting. Nobody wants to be a part of the business meeting and or like you've been a part of a church that when you had the business meeting, it was a free for all. I don't know if anybody ever grew up in a church like that, but it's a free for all. And they're like, anybody that has a problem, raise your hand and we'll listen. 
right? And so you're like, I'm here today for that. (laughs) That don't happen. You can have the free-for-all in the elders meeting. They'll be ready for you, you know? So we don't do that on a Sunday morning. That's not what we're trying to do, but we want to be able to give you a voice. What we want to try to get done inside of the business meeting is highlight some things, like talk about some things that we do here at Life Church that maybe you don't know about, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and then also put together a message that we think will set us right for going into 2023. So that's what we do in the business meeting. Now, I want to share with you, uh, again, one of the things. There's lots of things to highlight. You'll see them in the annual report, but I want to bring up one that isn't noticed very often if you didn't know what was going on. But before COVID, so I don't know the exact time, we sat down together as a staff, and I said, here's something we got to figure out. So the younger generation of people aren't coming to church, right? Like, if you're looking at the, the trend, the trend is, is that they're just not coming to church. But what we are seeing is they are looking at screens, right? Like, they're looking at their phone, they're, they're, they're on their iPad, they're on their computers. So I said, we got to start thinking about ways to be able to get it to them. And I was very adamant, like, I don't want an online viewing experience, which meant that they would just put a camera up and then the quality of the camera's terrible and the sound's terrible, but you got to watch it on Facebook and everybody was excited. You know, I'm like, I don't want that because what I want to do is I want to create a church outside of the church. Right? Like, I want to be able to have an online community that maybe they might never come to Life Church, right? But it's an opportunity to preach the gospel into places that we would never get a chance to preach the gospel in before. And there were a lot of kickbacks, a lot of people that were like, well, you know, they might never come to church, and what are you going to do about that? And I'm like, Judas, listen, it's the God of the universe. Do I have to figure all those things out? I'm like, he says, preach the gospel, right? Preach the gospel and let it fall where it may. Let, let, it, let, it, let it go where it needs to. And if God moves them to come to Life Church, then he moves them to come to Life Church. If he doesn't, and they're in another community, who really cares, Right? So we created, and, and, and Nick and his team put a significant amount of time in creating what's called Life Online, the experience that people are a part of today where, you know, it's not just a viewing experience. It has ca- campus pastors that talk back and forth with people. It's, a, it's more of an experience like a church than it is just an online viewing experience. So I want to give you some stats from our online community. So in the past year, and you can read this in the annual report, our reach into, and again, it's hard to measure reach when you're looking at online community, but what we can measure, over 5,000 people came on and were a part of the online community. 65 new people throughout the year came and were a part of the online community. The other one is that we have uh, reach into six countries and 39 states, which is pretty cool, right? Like six countries, 39 states where... This message is going out, and like as an example, we have people viewing in Canada, Jamaica, Ireland, Guam, and Georgia, right? Like these are places where people are coming on, viewing, and are a part of the online community. And again, it's really hard to quantify, is it working or not working, you know, but we know that our responsibility is to share the gospel, right? Our responsibility is to throw out the seed, and we're supposed to trust whatever God wants to do. I want to share with you a story came in here a couple weeks ago of from online community, what is it that God's doing, right? So as somebody that, you know, shared a story that for 30 years, they'd been sharing the gospel, you know, with, with this person and hadn't had an opportunity, you know, for them to uh, want to come to church or accept the gospel, but would actually go online and watch church right? Like they take the opportunity to go online, but never maybe uh, physically be able to come to the building or even want to be able to come to the building, but would watch online, right? And so people would say, well, you got to get them to church. And we're just saying, no, you just got to keep preaching the gospel because God will do what he wants to do, right? And that person, we get the story in, that person from watching life online, having the opportunity for what was put together, gave their life to Jesus Christ. You're not clapping? Come on, Jesus You should be super excited that opportunities that are non-traditional, right, things that don't happen all of the time, somebody's in eternity because of the opportunity to be able to share the gospel in places that it normally wouldn't go, right? Like, we should be super excited about those things as a church, and we'll continue to be excited about preaching the gospel and trusting that God will do whatever he wants to do. 
right? So that's a highlight of something that's going on at Life Church. really exciting. We want to continue to grow that platform. We want to continue to have opportunities to get into places where we've never been before. But let's talk about the why of the business meeting. So why do we do uh, the business meeting? So the first, right, we have to do one. So as a church, you have to, if you're a non-for-profit, you have to have a business meeting where it's an opportunity that we all gather together, an opportunity for you to meet with the elders, and an opportunity for you to get together and see, you know, our finances or anything that we're doing. So that's one reason, right? That's one of the reasons that we do the end report. The other thing is, is that we want you to understand this. So this is a teaching moment for all of us. We think that for people, like we would say this to you individually, we think it's important for you to pause and reflect on 2022, right? Like if you want to go anywhere in your life, you can't move forward until you reflect back on what needs to change moving forward. Does that make sense? So if you never take a time to, to look back and reflect and say, okay, here's something that we need to do differently, or here's something we need to continue to do. Could be both, right? Here's something that went really well. Here's something that we need to change. And going into 2023, because we reflected on it, we're now going to change it. Well, the same is with the church, right? The church has to take an opportunity to look at what happened in 2022 and say, going into 2023, what do we want to do different? What do we want to continue to do the same? Because here's the one thing you're going to realize about Life Church. When we're looking and evaluating, there's only one thing sacred at this church, Jesus. Every other program and every other thing we do, I would blow up tomorrow if we weren't reaching people for Jesus. I mean, I just wouldn't do it anymore. Like, I would not do it. I don't care if it's the most traditional thing that everybody wants. If we're not reaching people and we're not teaching people and we're not sending people out, we're going to blow it all up and start over. And we're going to do something that reaches people. So the only way you can get to that is evaluate and then try and evaluate and try. The other reason is, is that we want to talk about this because I think this is important. Is the church a business? You know what I mean? Because this is like, people are like, am I supposed to say yes? Am I supposed to say no? Because the church really isn't a business and you can't think about it as a business. Well, here's what I want to tell you. The church is a business. Right? Like, you got to understand the church is a business. Now, I think there's a wrong way to look at it and a right way to look at it. So here's what I think is the right way to look at the church as a business. So in every great business, and you would even know this in, a, in your life, but every great business and every great relationship and everything that's moving in the right direction has a mission statement. Right? And here's why they have to have a mission statement. Because when you're going 5,000 miles an hour and you don't know what decision to make and you come into a crossroads, you got to come back to why do we exist? You just do. So that's why I always tell people, like, inside of your marriage, that's why you should have a marriage mission statement, because sometime you're going to come to a crossroads, and you're going to be flying 5,000 miles an hour, and you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to say, why are we married? Yeah, right? Like, you're going to have to get to those places. Like, why are we at this place? Why did God put us together? Why are we better together than we are apart? What's our mission? We all, you both have your individual mission, but what can you do together that you couldn't do by yourself? right? Like marriage mission statement. Well, same thing as a church. Like when we come to a crossroad, we have to make decisions based upon our mission statement and we have for 18 years, right? Here's our mission statement to help every person. And it was very, like when we went through these wording, it was very important for us. We just didn't throw words out. Why did we put every person? Because we mean every person. We believe that the diversity of the church is the beauty that God wants to see. God doesn't want a church full of people that are all like each other, right? So that means if you're reaching all people, the age differential inside of your church is going to be huge. It's not going to be a church for the old, and it's not going to be a church for the young. And it's not going to be a church for the middle age. It's going to be a church for the people who want to know Jesus. And so the church will be reflected of people that are seeking Jesus, and it'll look completely different. We don't really care if it's, you know, demographically, organizationally. Those things don't matter to us. Like, for us, it's every single person. And it's very clear that if you're going to come here, you better welcome every single person. Because if you don't, here's what you'll find. It's not like you're going to get yelled at. You know, but if you come and you're like, do you know, and do you know, and you start pointing fingers at other people, you'll just realize you'll never fit in here. Like you just won't. Like if you're like, well, that and that, and did you see that person? And we had this even from the beginning when people would be like, did you know 
Well, Trey's a perfect example. Did you know that there was somebody sitting in the front row with a hat on and they were in the Lord's house? <laughs> and I'm like, is that seriously what you thought about? Like, is those, are those really the things that the church cares about? Like, who cares about the hat? I know your tradition. I know you're older and nobody walks in. Nobody, nobody walks in God's house with a hat on. <laughs> okay, don't get, me, don't get me started. But anyway, who cares? Like, you're really going to look at somebody seeking Jesus, following Jesus, wanting to go out and change the world for Jesus and be like, but you better take your hat off. You don't know why churches fail? Because they think about stupid things, right? They don't go back to the mission statement. What's the mission? Help every single person, whatever that looks like and however you look or whatever those things you're doing. And what are we trying to help them do? Take steps, not just gather. Does that make sense? We don't want a bunch of people that, we wouldn't gauge our success on the idea of gathering a bunch of people that aren't moving closer to Jesus Christ. Right? If you gather a bunch of people together, here's, here's what we already know, and we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. You can gather a bunch of people for a time, but if you don't help them take a step towards Jesus, they're just going to die later. Like the church will die. Like it'll be popular for a while because you're the popular church, and then when you become unpopular and somebody else comes in and does something new, everybody leaves, and then you're the unpopular church again. But if you're moving people towards Jesus and on their mission to become more like him, the things that are supposed to happen, guess what happens? They naturally happen. When you become more like Jesus, the church becomes more like Jesus because you are the church. And here's the other piece is we say that, you know, we help every person take their next step towards Jesus together. The funny thing about the church is, is the church at times thinks programs fixes people. What fixes people is relationship. You can only help somebody take their next step if you know them. right? Like you can't help somebody take a step if you don't know where they're at. So we're a church guided by, always go back to, when it comes to a decision or a crossroad, guided by this. It's got to be about relationships. We've Very specifically, we've said this. People be like, why don't you have this online so we can just read it online? I'm like, because I want you to have a meeting with me. Right? Like, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to talk to you face-to-face. -face. We don't want it so that you can get all of these things and never be in a relationship with people. We want you to be in relationship. We want people that are online to be in relationship. That's why we want people to get in the chat. Right? If you're online, the reason to sign in and the reason to get into the chat is we don't want it to just be a viewing experience. We want you to be in community. We want you to be in relationship with people. Right? So every good business and every church has a mission, right? And they follow that mission statement when they come to a crossroad. The other thing is they always have vision. What's the future going to look like? What do you see that nobody else sees? What do you need to be reminded of when you come in here that, that is not only what the mission of the church is, but what do we see in the future? So we've always said this. If you want to be reminded of something, every single seat, this is how we look at it. We don't see how many are full. We see how many are empty. Like for us, it's not looking around being like, wow, for the first time ever, the church is full. We say every single seat represents somebody in this community that if they don't come to be a believer in Jesus Christ and their life ends, they will spend a Christless eternity in hell. That's what every one of these seats represents, right? And so to the fact of, and the, the staff knows this, a while back when we were upstairs, we had two services and it was a smaller room. And they're like, wow, isn't it cool? And it, it wasn't just them. I thought it was people, right? Like, hey, isn't it cool? We're finally full. You know, and they started to get this, not them, but even all the people started to be like, this is cool. I don't even need to invite anymore. Because when you used to sit in a room of empty people, they're like, you got to get somebody to come. This is weird, right? Like, this is weird. We need to fill the seats. You know, we need to do our part. You know, but then when the seats are full, you're like, oh, I don't really need to do anything. So I said, well, we can fix that. Let's go to three services so they're empty again. So that's what we did. We went to three services so they weren't full anymore, right? So then you had to look around at empty seats because we want you to be reminded every empty seat represents somebody who needs to know Jesus. And you know how they're going to get to know Jesus? You. And that when you walk in here, we shouldn't be walking in here looking at everything that's full, but we should look at what's empty and say, God's still got a plan and we need to do something about it. Here's the other part. Have a mission, have a vision, look into the future. But the other piece is, is that what's the bottom line? So in every business, they have a bottom line, right? Every successful 
business is looking at the bottom line, right? And every bottom line is measured in different ways. But in businesses, most of the time, it's measured by profitability. It's measured by, you know, the ability to, to grow. It's measured by a lot of those different things. So what's the bottom line of the church? So if it is a business, what's the bottom line? See, this is the thing that, that I think gets mixed up inside of the church sometimes. See, the church sometimes measures just like the world measures. So if you have people and money, you are successful, right? Here's what we know about churches that have had people and have had money, right? Because you know what the bottom line is for us? Reaching people for Jesus teaching them how to be a follower and sending them out to reach more people, right? Because here's the reality of a church that has people and has money. If you never reach, teach, or send, someday you're dying. True? If you're not reaching new people for Jesus Christ, someday you're gonna age out and you're going to be the church that has no people. Because I've said this, like people will be like, you know what we love about Life Church, which is cool. Man, they have a children's ministry and they have a youth ministry and it's the next generation. It's not. Just because you have a children's ministry and a youth ministry doesn't mean that generationally they're gonna come up into the church and change the world. If they don't get reached, taught, and sent they're leaving too. So it's not just about do you have a children's ministry and do you have a youth ministry. It's about do we as a whole see that the responsibility of every believer is to reach, teach, and send. Because if you do, here's the cool thing. You're on mission for God and God will honor your mission, period. The church then will be what God wants it to be, not what you thought it should be. So you know what the bottom line is for us? Are we reaching, teaching, and sending, and are we following the will of God? Because if we are, we think he's gonna, this church will become what he wants it to be. Does that make sense, right? Like, we've got to be able to, to, to see those things. Now, here's the tension, right? Because in every other business, too, is you've got to measure some things to be able to do it. So there's a bottom line, but how can we as a church measure so that when we measure it, we can look at the future and make decisions based upon that? So a long time ago, we made the decision to say, if somebody is becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and they're growing in their relationship, what will they do? Right? What will the other things that they will do that we can see, right? Now, the things that we said that we could see or that we could measure that we think are important, but not the end all is this. We think as your hearts change, you will come to church more. Anybody, right? Like when your heart starts to change, you're like, I should probably actually go to church. Or I should watch online. Something is different in me. I should probably gather together. And then here's what we know. Once you start gathering together and, and Jesus starts working on you, you know, this is, this is what starts to happen is, is that all of the sudden, if Jesus is working on you, it's no longer about you. So you came because it was about you. Does that make sense? Like you came because my life, something's changing, and I came for me, and then Jesus met you here and said, it's not about you. Isn't that cool? Like you got here and you thought it was all going to be about you, but it's not about you at all. It's about other people. And then we think naturally what will happen is you're going to be like, how can I serve other people? What can I do? So we measure that. Are people getting involved and volunteering because we think that that's what God does? And then we, the other thing that we recognize inside of people is not only will you help volunteer, you'll be like, you know what? God's changing something in me, and I need to be in community with people, right? Like, I need to be around people. I need to be, you know, or figure out what that looks like to be in community with other people. Now, a lot of churches would just say, so is it just it's like small groups, right? So do you gotta, does everybody have to get in a small group? <laughs> Listen, I'm, here's all I'm saying is, you need to be with some people, right? I don't know what that looks like, you know, but you need to be with people. You need to gather with people. And when you gather with people, something changes, right? Because you will come to this crossroad. You'll have to make a decision, right? And we'll talk about this in a little bit. Your heart will always err on the side of taking care of who? Yourself. The more that you become like Jesus, the less it'll be about you. So you always have to make this decision fighting against this natural desire for it to always be about you to what would it look like to be about other people? Right? So we believe that it's community and we can measure community. Are people 
you know, involved in whatever those groups look like or whatever that community looks like. And, and again, can be done in multiple different ways. The other thing is, is that we measure giving. That's why we put budgets up there. Or that's why we put giving slide up there. It's not just to show you this is the money that's coming in. We say exactly what scripture says. Giving reflects the state of your what? Heart. I know nobody wants to hear that, but the reality is generosity or giving reflects the state of a person's heart. And he says, you know what you're going to struggle over? You know what the big struggle is going to be? Who's your master? You can't have two of them. You can't. And, it's not a, and again, it's not about the idea of how much you give. It's about the idea that you decided it wasn't yours and that you decide that you have a different master other than the world or yourself. Right? So we measure giving. But here's the tension inside of all of that. So you can measure all of those things and people can participate and we've watched this happen for 18 years. People can participate in all of these things and they can be excited for a while and then as they're excited for a while, they still fall away. Why? You ever wonder that? Like people can come to church, like we've seen this all the time, like people, and, and I hate to say this, but people will get baptized and then they'll come to church and they'll be excited for a while and then the next thing you know, like, I haven't seen that person in years. What happened? What, what was going on? What, what was different? Why is it that they didn't stay? I mean, they were so excited and they wanted to come to church and they started serving and they were in community and, you know, they, they were on the mission, but pretty soon they, they fell away. And you, you know the problem? You all know the problem, but we're going to highlight the problem is they couldn't ever get it from here to here. Because here's what we know about things of the heart. When something's settled in your heart, you will give your life away for it. True? Once your heart is settled, once you got something in there, once you love somebody deeply, you will give up a lot for you to be able to either be with that person, serve that person, be around. Like, because when the heart changes, life changes. When the mind change, you just wait for another mind change. True? Right? Like your mind can change, and then the next thing that's going to happen is the next thing that's going to change your mind. And then the next thing that's going to change your mind, and you're just going to find yourself in the place wherever your mind is changing too. And so what we want to focus on at Life Church more than anything is how do we get to the place where we see lasting change? Well, we have to try to figure out the heart. Like we could put every program together in the world, but if hearts don't change, guess what? We won't exist. I'm just going to be honest. If we don't put stuff together that's going to help people change their heart, if we don't come alongside of you and help you change your heart, over time, this is all just going to go away, right? Because, you know, it's just going to go into the, to, to whatever's next for people when they change their mind of what church they want to go to, because we know that happens, right? But when your heart's set and you're on mission, things don't change. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Psalms 119. So in Psalms 119, here's what we're going to look at. What does it take to change the heart? Now, you all know the, the, the writer of Psalms had these issues where he's on fire and then in the the valley and then on fire and then in the valley, right? So he's always, he was on a mountain, then he was in the valley. And here's what he learned. Because honestly, you don't want to be at either place. Are we on that same page? You don't want to be in the valley and you don't want to be in the mountain. Here's what you want to be and here's what he's going to teach us. When your heart is right, you're taking steady steps up and to the right over and over again. It's not on the hill, down to the valley, on the hill or on the mountain, down to the valley. He's teaching you that relationship looks like this. One small step and another small step and another small step to being more like me. Because part of the problem is when people get to the valley, the first thing they want to do is rush to the mountain. And then when they fall off the top of the mountain, it hurts. Right? Like you get to the top of the mountain, it's a long way down to the valley. And when you get down into the valley, it's a difficult place to be. And so when you're on that, so when the, the writer of Psalms says, if you want to be, go up and to the right and you want to take small steps up and to the right, you know what you need to do? You need to get your heart right. You need to do some of these things that he's going to talk about. So we're going to highlight what he says in Psalms 119, 112 through 120. Here's what he says from the beginning. My heart, again, so addressing this idea that the problem before was when the mind was wrong. My heart is set 
on keeping your decrees till the end. So he talks about this idea of how do you settle in your heart? How do you get your heart set, right? That's a key element of the scripture. How do you get to the place where you get your heart set on something? Because we've already identified this. If your heart is set, you will naturally do what the heart desires, right? So once you get your heart set, the natural organic way that you live your life will come out of where your heart's set and what you need to do. But how do we get there, right? How do we get to the place where our heart is set? Well, here's what we know, right? We know that in every single time we're working on getting our heart set on something, when we get to that place, right, sometimes it starts with a habit even though it's not something that you want to do. Does that make sense? So in everything that you do in life, when you get it to your mind, when, when things become a good idea to a lifestyle, does that make more sense? Right? So it's like a good idea, like fitness is a good idea, you know, but it has to start at a habit because it's a really bad idea the next morning. <laughs> right? Like it starts as a good idea, and then the way to become a lifestyle is, is over time you do things that make it set in your heart to the point where, like have you ever talked to some of these people that are like, really into fitness or like when I miss it I'm like depressed that true yeah Yeah. (laughs) right like that's the you get to this place like if I'm not in the gym I need to get in the gym for my soul right why because it started with something inside of here that said it needs to change and then you put a habit together that got you to the place where now my heart's set and if I don't have it I miss it Right? Well, the same concept is what he's saying for you. So what does it look like to get your heart set on Jesus? How do you get there? How do you get to the place where your heart gets set on Jesus? Well, here's what we know, right? You can't do it. And this is every, everything, right? Like if you want to love somebody well, if you want to show them that you love them, what do you got to give them? It's the number one thing that everybody that says, you're not loving me well because you're not giving me enough time, Right? When you, you think about this, do you remember when uh, you, like some of you older couples might remember this or you hear people talk about it. So in the beginning, it was like, man, when we were first, and this might be your wife talking to you husbands, when we were first married, you always pursued me and you always brought me flowers and you always called me and you text me during the day or you'd call me, you'd do all these things. Now I'm just the old cow. Nobody's ever heard that before, right? Like, you're just going through, like, I'm just the old cow now. You're not pursuing me anymore. You're not doing the things that you used to do, right? Well, in the beginning, you pursued because your heart was all in, right? But when you get to these, okay, now I don't have as much time and I have a lot of other things to do. You came to a crossroad. You got to figure out how to, how to delineate your time or divide up your time. You better be intentional or your heart will go back to what it naturally will go back to thinking about you and not your wife. True? Or you and your relationships. So what's the difference when it comes to a relationship with Jesus? You got to come up with something because your heart is naturally going to be divided. Your heart's going to naturally be at the place where I would selfishly like to do this instead of this. Like in the beginning when you're on fire and Jesus saved my life, you can't read enough of the Bible or read enough of the books or get in enough of the podcast, but then Jesus becomes the old cow. Whether you want to admit that or not, he just becomes like, I don't need him anymore. I've kind of read them all, done them all, you know, come to church every week. I'm not all that excited. I mean, I do it because I don't want to get in trouble, but I don't do it because I love him. You need to do it because you love him. But you know what? It starts with a habit. And I don't know what your habit's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be in the morning. I don't know if it's going to be at night. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, out in the woods. I don't know what your habit's going to be, but you got to get in the habit to say, you know what? If I love you, I'm going to give you some time. Does that make sense? That's the way we're going to get our heart set, and that's why we're going to start seeing life change, right? Because when you keep his decrees, like this is the thing you need to recognize. So you say, you see what he says where he's like, set your heart on keeping my decrees. So make sure that we understand this. It's not about keeping all of the law. You can't keep all the law anyway. You know why he wants you to know what it says inside of the Bible? So you can be more like him. That's what keeping his decrees looks like. It's not whether or not you're going to keep all of the the commandments, because you can't keep all the commandments, and you can't be that good. He's saying, but if when you read it, when you read it, you should read it like this. How do I become more like 
How do I become more like Jesus? Like, this is the reason he puts these things in place, because he wants me to be more like him. So I want to be more like him, right? Because I love him, and I want to spend time with him. I want to be in relationship. So he says that. Here's the next thing that he says. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. What's it mean to be double-minded? So double-mindedness in Scripture means you have divided allegiance, Okay, so your allegiance is divided. How do you know that you have divided allegiance? Right? I'll just give you an example. So when you come to a crossroad in your life and you need to make a decision, okay, and you come to that crossroad, the way that you can understand where your allegiance lies is where you counsel and what you listen to. Does that make sense? So you're at the crossroad. I'll just give you an example. So you're at the crossroad and you need to make a decision in your life. So you and your spouse or you and other people, you sit down, and this is what naturally happens. You listen to what people say, and then you make a decision that is best for you, right? I mean, that what we naturally do? So you sit around, and you listen to other people. You're going to take their advice, but at the end of the day, you're going to make the best decision that fits you, makes you the most comfortable, makes you the most money, makes you the most, puts you in a position where you want to be, right? That's natural. That's the natural desire of a selfish heart. When we become more like Jesus, so we come to a crossroad, right? Because then our allegiance lies more in being comfortable than it does to be on mission, right? Because when you come to a crossroad, you got to make a decision. Who should you be counseling? Can you counsel other people? Should you counsel other people, right? But who should you counsel first? If our allegiance as a believer in Jesus Christ is single-minded on him, who should we counsel? Him, right? Because when you come to this decision, you got to ask him, where do you want me to go? Because here's what I'm guaranteeing you. When you do, it for sure will not be the most comfortable thing. And you will know where your allegiance lies. Because if you're going to ask him, ask anybody that's asked this question. If you're going to ask him, he tends to put you in positions of faith than positions of comfort. True for anybody that's asking? Can anybody affirm that? Like when you ask him and you, and what he's saying is, so now you have a decision to make. Are you going to be double-minded? Are you going to have allegiance to Jesus when it's comfortable for you, but allegiance to the, to the, to the world when it's uncomfortable for you? Right? Like, you, are you double-minded? He's saying the, the double, he hates double-minded people. What he wants for you is to be single-minded and have allegiance to him. And when he asks you to make a decision, the decision is simple, whatever you ask me to do. Why? Because my allegiance, my heart is set on the one who created me, and my allegiance is with the one who's, who's going to be the person that's taking care of me, the one that created me, the one that put me on mission. That's where my allegiance lies, right? Hates double-minded people. Because you know what happens with double-minded people? This is how they're described in, in Scripture. In Scripture, double-minded people are described like reeds, cattails, that makes, like you see them in the water. Every time the wind blows, what do the reeds do? Go with the wind, right? So he says, you know what the problem with double-minded people is? They're so influenced by popular opinion and people running their yapper, right? We live in a world today where people are running to the side like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to say that, and I didn't mean to. Yes, you did. Stop being a baby. You did mean to say it. You did mean to say it, right? Like, I know when you, when you stand in a certain position, you're going to get opposition. And you know what they want you to do is move off that stance and move over to something else. And enough people yapping usually can move a person. True, not true, right? Here's what I've said. You know what single-minded people who have an allegiance to Christ is? You know why they can stand and not be moved? Because their identity is found in the one who created them, not in the people running their mouth. So people can run their mouth all day long. I mean, it's, it's the life of being in leadership. The life of being in leadership is everybody's got an opinion. And you can run your yapper. I just don't care, right? Like, I'm not going to go over there and try to be like, oh, I know what you said about me, but I, I want you just to know what the truth is, and I want you to know what really happened. And I'm like, go ahead and say what you want. I don't care. I don't really care. Run your mouth about things that aren't true or what you think are true, I'm not running over to you. I'm standing right here. 
right? And the reason being is I don't have to defend myself to people when you find your identity inside of the one who created you, right? Like you don't need to defend that. You stand on this place and you say, you know what? Here's the reality. Over time, this is what always happens. Over time, people will know who you really are. In a short amount of time, if you're running back and forth trying to please everybody, you are like the reeds swayed in the wind, and you can never be on purpose because you're always running around trying to please people. Does that make sense? Right? So he wants you to be single-minded because he hates double-minded people. Then he goes on, and he says this, you will be my refuge. So again, talking about what's going to happen in our lives, we come to this place of you will be my refuge and my shield, and I have put my hope in your word. Here's what he recognized. The writer of Psalms recognized something that all of us should if you don't already. Life is very difficult, and it's going to deal you some very difficult situations and some hardships in your life. Everybody, right? Things are coming. If they haven't came, things are coming, right? There's going to be some hardship coming in your life. But the big question isn't, why is hardship coming? Do I deserve the hardship that I got? Is it ever going to stop? Those aren't the questions. You know what the questions are? When it comes, where are you going? That's the question. The question is, when your heart is set from the beginning, right? When the heart is right from the beginning that brings lasting change, do you know where a person runs? To their refuge and their shield, which is the Lord. When your heart isn't set, like when you haven't predetermined where you're going to go when trouble comes, you know where you're going to go? What makes you the most comfortable? True? I mean, you know this, right? There are things that bring you comfort. Could be other people, could be pills, could be a drink, could be a movie, could be like there's things that bring you comfort, right? And they're tangible. They're like, I can talk to this person. I can, I can take this pill. I can drink this thing. Like it's tangible things. And then you're reading the Bible and the Bible's like, hey, run over to this intangible thing that you could never see. And he's going to be your refuge and your strength and your shield. And if you're not in relationship with him, you don't understand that. And so you're not going to come here. Like you're just not because you've never experienced it. So I'm going to challenge you with this. If you've never experienced God is your refuge and God is your shield, take one opportunity. And I don't know what this looks for you. Like when I say run to a place, like some people find a refuge in God in certain places. Like some people have prayer closets. Some people go upstairs. Some people go outside. Some people go on walks. Some people ride motorcycles. I don't care where you go, but get there. And trust that he will be your refuge. And once you finally experience that it's not only a refuge that gives you peace and surpasses all understanding, but a shield to protect you, you will run there every single time. Every time trouble comes, that's the place that you're going to run. And that's the place that you're going to use as your refuge. And that's the place that you're going to stay in those, uh, or you're going to stay in those places. Here's the next thing. 117, uphold me and uh, uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees, right? So it's, uh, or sorry, go back, I messed that up. 115, start up there. So 115 says, away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep uh, the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promises, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered, and I will always have regard for your decree. So right from the beginning, it says, if you want your heart to be right, stay away from evildoers. Now, this is a huge mistake in the church, okay? Because I want you to think about something. Evildoers, like it's just a term used for, what does the church usually say? Evildoers, bad people, people who are unlike you. When you give your life to Jesus, you got to stop being around those people, right? Like that's the, that's the funny thing about the church. The church says, once you get saved, you got to stop being with those losers. You got to stop being with those evil people. You got to stop being with the people that aren't like you. They're going to corrupt you and they're going to take you down. They might get you to smoke a joint and they might get you to drink and they might get you to do. And I'm sitting here saying, no, wait, 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 wait. Remember the empty chair analogy? Those are all people that might be doing all of those things. And if you don't know them, how are you filling that chair? Here's what I want you to realize, right? I'm going to give you this model, and I hope this makes sense. 
Every one of us should have three circles of relationships, okay? Here's the first circle. You need to have three people in your life that can look at you and see you the way Jesus sees you. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you know what, Thaddeus, this is what I see. This is how God, and I'm going to, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going, to, I'm going to help you see the things that you can't see right now because Satan has your blinders on, but I'm going to help you know that you are a man of God and these are the things that God has for you and these are the places you need to be. You need those three people in your life and you need to meet with them on a regular basis. Right, Because you need to be told the way that Jesus sees you and Satan's putting your blinders on and you better have those people in your life. You know what else you should have? People that you're mentoring, another circle. Right? So it's not just about understanding what it is that God wants us to do, but it's actually doing something. Does that make sense? Like it's actually doing something with what he says to you. I've always said this. You know what my, the most upsetting thing for me about church is? is that people in here will talk about this idea like, I need to be in community because I need to learn more about the Bible. And I'm like, dude, you'd know way more than you would ever do in your whole lifetime. Like, I get it. You should learn more about the Bible, but you should actually probably do something with the things that you've learned, right? Like, you should probably take those things and put them into your life. And so it's like, okay, when I meet with Thaddeus, it's gonna be like, you know what God sees in you and these are the things that he's doing? Now, do something about it. Raise up these next group of people in this next circle to have the passion to reach, teach, and send. Like, I need to take these people and I need to multiply myself into these people, right? Because if the gospel is going to spread, it's not going to spread because of addition. It's going to spread because of multiplication. And it's going to spread because you learn to multiply yourself into other people, right? And this is just a model of what Jesus did. The reason the gospel spread is because he multiplied himself in 12 people. But then he always had a group of 72. He always had a group of 150. He had a group of people, you know what, that he went and he spent time with and he sat at tables with. And the religious people of the world would look at him and they'd be like, what are you doing sitting at a table with those people? Come on. Right? And see, that's the problem with the church. You know what I've said? When, when I read evildoers, I don't necessarily think Scripture's talking about people who do bad things. I think it's talking about religious people who do nothing. I'm thinking, like, stay away from those suckers. Right? Because you know why I think that? It's not just, it might be an opinion, but I think it's also backed up by Scripture. Because you know who Jesus called evildoers? The Pharisees. The people that knew everything about Scripture and pointed fingers at everybody else and told them how bad they were based upon how good they were, he was like, those people are like a brood of vipers. They're evil people. You see, and the problem is the church doesn't want to look at religious people and point to them and say, you know what part of the problem is? You're the evildoer. Because you're teaching people more about religion than you are about relationship, and you're missing the point. And you're corrupting the body of Christ under the name of Jesus. Right? And so when we look at these things, I'm looking at it saying like, dude, if we're going to reach people, and you got to do it in this order, you got to have the people that you can come back to and say, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. you got to have a place where you're multiplying yourself into other people so that when you go out to the 72 or the 150 or wherever you need to go, that you can stay grounded. That's true, right? Like you got to have all those things in place. But he wants you to be in those communities. Here's the next thing that he says. Uh, in verse 118. And here's why he says it. Okay, so think about this for a second. So you got all of this information right now on what you need to do with your heart. Okay, so you got all this information on the things that need to be changed and the things that you need to do. But what's going to be your motivation to change? What's going to be your motivation to take what this scripture says and go out and actually do something about it? Because I want you to think about this for a second. So we all know the um, the Mar Hamlin thing that happened, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, guy dies on TV, they're resuscitating him. The world stops, right? And everybody starts praying. Like, these are the things that I see. It's like everybody starts praying and everybody starts coming. And then the, the message that comes out of that is prayer works, right? And I'm sitting there, you're like, I know, prayer works. Didn't we all know? Right, like prayer works. You should be on your knees. You should be praying for people. God does at time intervene and change the course of history. Prayer works. But you know the thing that I'm not hearing? Or the thing that I wanted to hear more of? Is you know what it reminded me of? That I could be DeMar Hamlin and I could be gone today. This is what I want you to hear. 
Honestly, I think it's what he would want you to hear. I don't think it was much about his healing as it was about this reality that he's a 24-year-old athlete that runs into somebody and is dead. You, no matter what your age is or what's going on in your life, could leave this room today and be gone. And you're going to face a judge. And you're going to have a judgment for the way that you lived your life. You know what should motivate us? <laughs> what should motivate us for life changes? Yours could be over pretty soon. No matter what your age is, your life could be over soon, and there is a judgment coming. So as the worship team comes back up, let me read you this last part. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked on the earth you discard like dross. So he's talking about in the day of judgment. So in the day of judgment, there are going to be people that are going to stand in front of Jesus, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to be rejected. You know, for, because of those who strayed from their, their decrees and there's going to be people that are going to be disillusioned and there are going to be people that are going to be discarded like dross, right? There's going to be people that are going to be like, I don't know who you are. You were religious all your life, but you never had a relationship. You listened to all the messages, but you did nothing about it. You came to all the Bible studies, and you can read the Bible, and you can recite the Bible, but your life's never changed. Your heart's never been set. You've never tried to become more like him, right? There are going to be people like that. That's what he says to them. Therefore, right, this is what he says, therefore, because I know these things, Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you, and I stand in awe of your love. You see, I think for every person in this room, we would agree on this. None of us wants to, to be on this roller coaster. We want lasting change, right? I think every single person in this room wants lasting change in their life. But the question is, are you willing right? Are you willing to give God space in your heart? I know you've given him space in your mind, the majority of people in this room today, right? You've given God space in your mind, but will you give him any space in your heart, right? Will you allow him to, to enter into these places that are going to set you, right, and, and make it so that we have this long-lasting change that God wants to do in your life. Because when that happens, when he sets those things up, here's what you're going to realize, right, because people have asked us this question. So what's 2023 bring for Life Church? You know, and I'm like, man, we got all kinds of things planned. We're excited about new things that are coming. Like, we have all this exciting stuff, but you know what, more than anything, you know what we're excited the most about? When God gets a hold of your heart, the best ministries yet to come are coming from you. Nothing we have planned. Because when God gets a hold of the heart of a man and he gets set inside of there, the world changes, right? The world absolutely changes. And so we are sitting here saying, you know what? Let's just not make it difficult. You know, as we end this business meeting together, let's not make it difficult. For each one of us in our life, here's what you can be guaranteed. If we would wake up every day saying, you know what, I just want to be more like Jesus today. I just want to be more like him. And every day I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to try to be more like you. You know what's going to happen? You know, people talk about revival and people talk about, you know, these, these movements. It's not just going to be a movement. It's going to be something. If we wake up every day and say, I want to be more like you I want to set my heart on your desires. It's not just going to be a movement for a matter of time. You know, they talk about these revivals that lasted for a time. When a man's heart is set on being more like Jesus, this is a lifetime of change. A world that will change long term, that the gates of hell will never prevail against, right? That's what we know, right? And that's what we want to be. And so as a church, we just want to help you get to know Jesus. So what does 2023 look like? Helping you get to know, like we are, what is it that Jesus wants us to do? And we'll stay in his will, and we're going to watch him be put on display. We stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we get to be a church. Um, there's many days that I wake up and just think, so lucky to be able to have an opportunity to be a church. 
Thankful that you give us a chance to speak into the lives of other people. Thankful that we as a people can set our hearts on being more like you. And when we do, Lord, you can use us to change the world. May we be a people that set our hearts on being more like you, to be used by you. And may we stand back and look at you be put on display in this world. Lord, we love you. Shame we pray. Amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Cause your name is power Your name is healing Your darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Come on. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. 
just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus let's sing it one more time I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus. Right on.
think for that, what a better way to end, right? A reminder that if he's for you, who could really stand against you? And because of that, you can shout the name of Jesus on the mountaintops, in the streets, speak it over your family. And when we do those things, like he says, the movement is never going to stop. And Christ and his message and life change is going to be spread everywhere. May we be a church that not only sings it, but believes it. That No one can be against us when God is for us. So we will speak the name of Jesus over and into a dark world. Again, thanks for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>